Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all here to welcome back. Those of you who are away for the Christmas holiday, we're so excited to be here together and worshiping our God and fellowshipping with one another. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together.
Seated above, enthroned in the Father's love, destined to die, poured out for all mankind. 
God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned, but suffered as if he did. All authority, every victory is yours.
Father, we want to give you thanks and praise that you have overcome everything. And we are here to worship you today because you are the great God against whom there is no rival. Thank you for your presence here with us today. And we ask that you would help our hearts to be so open to you that we would bring glory to you. As we listen to you and and as we hear your word to us and as we offer our voices and our thoughts and ourselves in worship of you. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today before you're seated. Just a few things I want to to highlight for you. You'll see an insert. It's kind of hard to miss the pink color of that, Valentine's things. Uh, But we want to encourage you about uh, taking a look at those. There's some opportunities uh, for involvement, small groups. Uh, There's a banquet coming up, Valentine's, a women's gathering. Take a look at that and uh, hope you can participate in some of those events. Tonight at 6 o'clock, we're going to be meeting here for a baptism service. There are... A dozen, 12 uh, of our young people are going to be baptized. Some of you, perhaps a number of academy students, are going to be baptized tonight at 6 o'clock. We hope you'll be back to join us for this exciting event. Cornelia will uh, be at 7 o'clock tonight. It's actually a part of Praxis as the semester gets kicked off um, on the college campus. Uh, Wednesday evening, all the ministries on regular schedule. Next Sunday morning, again, worship at 8, 29, 40, and 11. There are always things for us to pray about, things that are connected to us personally, as well as things around the world. The great thing is that when we pray, we know that God hears us. And so we want to offer our prayers to God for these issues uh, that are in the bulletin, as well as all the things that are in our minds and hearts as we worship today. Scripture this morning is taken from the book of Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, found on page 1028 in your Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him off his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, 
pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. This time we'll invite the ushers forward to assist us in giving our tithes and offerings. Sometimes I think, what would people say of me when I'm only just a memory, when I'm the home where my soul belongs? Was I loved when no one else would show up? Was I Jesus to the least of us? Was my worship more than just a song? I want to live like that. Who I am 
As we turn to the Lord in prayer, if you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and, and join me as we pray together. Father, we come today admitting that we wrestle with having divided hearts. We are burdened about the ongoing war and hatred and violence that infects the earth, but we have to admit that too often we cling to destructive behaviors. We talk about helping others, but often we're more interested in ourselves than anyone else. We proclaim the need for grace, and and then we focus so much of our energy on our own brand of justice. We ask, Father, that in this, this moment of prayer, that you would reveal our powerlessness to change ourselves. And your unlimited power to transform us. Fathers, in light of this Sunday when we join with churches and people around the country. Specifically thinking about the sanctity of human life. We pray that you will fill us with love and compassion for the born and the unborn. For those who agree with us and those who do not. For all who are in need. We pray, Father, that you will fill us with compassion for others. That you will bring an end to the heinous disregard for all people that you love. Fill us and our world with a new passion for all life. We also join people around this country and around the world remembering Dr. King this weekend. We thank you for his life and and for his willingness to sacrifice in order to confront our nation about the scourge of racism and prejudice, bigotry. Father, we have come a long ways. We have a long way to go. We pray that in us and in your church, we will be proponents, not just with our words, but with our lives, to bring an end to racism and prejudice and bigotry. The people will see in us a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit toward all who are minorities. Father, we are facing today all kinds of stuff. Some of it brings fear and anxiety to us. 
we are worried about where that diagnosis is going to lead, where that, what that test is going to reveal. We're thinking today about people who have been so dear to us and we're struggling with the reality of their death. We wonder about the tenuous nature of some of our relationships. And we ask that you would bring healing. And we're apprehensive about the next steps of life, where we're going, how we're going to get there. Where will we be in six months, a year, five years? Father, in all of these and other circumstances, let us sense you at work and help us to trust you. Father, teach us anew today the reality of your presence in our lives, of your faithfulness and of your goodness, of your mercy. And give us grace to respond in faith, in trust, in the spirit of Christ, in whose name we offer our prayers. Amen. Lost are saved, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your
Father, we come today to praise your great name. We do that with our voices. We do that with our hearts. We do it with our ears. Let your words speak deeply into our souls as we continue in worship. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. When you think about the church, what image comes to your mind? I've been around long enough to know that there are all kinds of opinions and ideas about the church. What it should be, what it should look like, what's its purpose, why is it here? And you talk to enough people, you're going to get enough ideas and and opinions and thoughts about that. And probably every one of those thoughts has some sense of rightness to it and maybe some sense of wrongness to it. But we're always, as a church, trying to discern who we are and and what we ought to be as the church universal and as the church in this place. So a few years ago, as, as a lot of churches do, we... We sat down as elders and pastors, and and we thought through, what is our purpose for being here in Houghton, in this place? And we went through a a lengthy seven, eight, nine months of time of thinking through that and processing that and and coming to some conclusions and then tweaking that a little bit. And eventually, we talked to the congregation about it and we had more discussions and we tweaked it some more until eventually... We came down to some statements about who we are as a church. And they are printed on these bookmarks, and I think most of them are in the bulletins today. And we want you to take those with you. But an interesting thing happened this week as we were printing more of these. The place that printed them cut off the bottom a little bit too much and, and missed the, uh, our web address at the bottom. So they said, we'll do some more this week and give those to you. And, so we'll have a whole bunch of these next week for you as you can take with you. But out of this bookmark, on the front, it's just sort of this general statement of, of who we are as a church. Empowered by God's love, the Houghton Weston Church exists to draw people into a lifelong, transforming relationship with Jesus Christ and his followers by exalting God joyfully, knowing God intimately, serving one another wholeheartedly, sharing Christ's love locally and globally. And we sort of boiled that down to joyfully loving God, wholeheartedly serving others. Now, that's a pretty generic kind of statement. We would hope that most churches in some form would want to adhere to that. So then we got to thinking about, let's break that down some more. How do we get to that point? If we do this, what would it look like? If, if we are able to fulfill this purpose, what would we look like? What would we do? What would we be doing? And out of that came the backside of this bookmark. This is a vision statement, and and what we want to do with this vision statement is to say, whatever vision we have for us as a church, it cannot be something that we can do ourselves. We don't want to be able to reach this vision just because we're smart enough or because we we know enough uh, about 
logistics and management skills and, and we figured things out. And so we can get to that point. We wanted to create a vision statement that was so big and so far beyond us that the only way it could ever possibly happen or even come close to happening is through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. It had to be so much bigger than us. And so believing we're an agent of God in Houghton and the surrounding areas, Houghton Western Church will be a place of grace and healing. Enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will provide a safe refuge and a holy place to be the people of God we know we should and must be. And this can only be accomplished through our individual and mutual commitment to our corporate worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, empowered by God's Spirit, we will. And we listed 12 bullet statements. And those 12 bullet statements are things that we are working toward, moving toward. This is what people see in us. And these statements, quite honestly, I read these things and I think, we're not even close to some of those. But that's okay. Because the only way we can accomplish these is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, last spring, in our vision meeting, all the congregation gets together. We're in the gym and at one point we divided up into 12 groups or 12 bullet points. We divide up in 12 groups, and every group took one of those bullet points and just talked about how do they see that in our church? What are things that they don't see in our church, and where are gaps? And and you get some great conversation out of that. And then this fall, the elders and the pastors got together in an evening, and and we divided into two groups, and we asked the question, we can't can't focus on 12 things at once. So think about, let's talk through, what do we think as a church is the most important thing right now for us to think about and focus on? What should we be talking about now? What should we be thinking about out of those 12 bullets? Which one's now? And and these two separate groups of about 10 people discussed that for 30, 45 minutes. We came back together and both groups picked the same four bullet points. I think God's telling us something. And so those bullet points are what I want to talk about beginning today and the next few weeks. And we're going to begin with the bullet points about halfway down the list that we would embrace and love all people. Now, it's in, I think it's intriguing that, that we start there in the season of Epiphany. Because Epiphany, which means manifestation, revelation, is, it's about the, the early days in the life of Jesus. It, it focuses on the, the first miracle of Jesus. That, he, that God is interested and involved in the common things of our lives, like a wedding. And Jesus said a wedding performs his first miracle. And, and it reminds us, it takes us back to the baptism of Jesus. And, and here we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And, and we begin to understand what his ministry is going to be about. One of humility. And leading us into a life of humility as we serve him. And it also focuses on the Magi coming to see Jesus, as we see recorded in the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Now, this is a really shocking story to be included in in the life of Jesus. Because Jesus, here you have the story of people reading this book, Matthew's Gospel particularly. It's the only one that mentions the Magi, which I think is intriguing. And Matthew's Gospel written to Jewish people. That's why there's so many prophecies from the Old Testament that are mentioned in Matthew's Gospel. It's written to Jewish people. And here, right at the beginning, Matthew tells us 
that some of the first people to understand who Jesus is and to be and have a sign that Jesus, the Messiah, for the Jews has come, are pagan astrologers. People who are not Jewish, and people who practice an art that Jews are condemned to practice. And here they are, right here in the story, and they're heroes in the story. And out of this story, we, we discover that, that God is telling us that Jesus comes not just for a select group of people, but for all people. Jesus comes for everyone, including people who are outside of the folks we might expect. Now, the minute we start talking about embracing and loving all people, welcoming people, I think our minds probably move toward places and churches where people say, everybody come, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter anything like that, you just come and we'll just have fun, we'll just get along together. And in essence, we're throwing out all of our biblical standards by welcoming everyone. That's not what I'm talking about. Biblical standards are essential. They are the bedrock of what we believe. Our, we, we hang on to our biblical standards. We, we teach our biblical standards and we promote them. They are essential to what it means to be the church. We are not in any way ignoring those, minimizing those, separating ourselves from those. This is not a call to, it doesn't matter what you believe. The problem is we often think that those two things are mutually exclusive. That you believe truth or you welcome all people. And I'm here to say they are not mutually exclusive. I think that's the tension of the gospel and the church. Is that we believe truth and we embrace and love all people. And they're both true and the church is called to do both. And one of the ways in which we do that is how we com- is thinking about how we communicate the truth we believe. Because often, because we believe the truth and we're, we're committed to that, we often come across as arrogant. We come across as prideful. We, we come across to people as we know what's going on and they don't. We're in, they're out. And a little bit of us is maybe a little happy about that. And that's not the gospel. That's not what the church is about. Now sometimes, because we're committed to the truth, people misunderstand our perspective. People misunderstand our, our, what we're saying and, the, and even the attitude about which we're saying. But I'm convinced that a lot of the time, they aren't misunderstanding us at all. We're just being arrogant. We're just being prideful. We're being unkind and unloving in the way in which we communicate the truth that is so important to us. And I think Jesus understands that particularly in the evangelical church, that our struggle is not so much being too open to people. Our struggle is being too close to people. Our struggle isn't that we love people too much. Our struggle is that we don't love them enough. 
And rather than being known as people who love, we are known as people who judge. And we have a reputation for being judgmental because of the way in which we communicate the truth that's so important to us. It's hard for us because our natural inclination is to judge. That's our sinful nature. We start saying, we're right, you're wrong. And we want, make, we want to make sure people know that. We want to make sure people, sure people understand that our opinion is right, that what we believe is right. And if they don't agree with us, they are wrong. And it's not just that that's true. We want to make sure people know that's true. And we communicate that in a spirit of arrogance and judgmentalism rather than a spirit of love. I think our default mechanism as human beings is to judge. And the church is called to something different, something counterintuitive to what is natural to us. But we see it all the time. Back in October, there's an article in the New York Times about um, something that the, the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center uh, was instituting in schools called... Um, Mix it up at lunch day. And I don't know if you have heard about this. I had not until I read this article. But the, the whole point is that it, it's, it's intended to try to, to help school children stop bullying each other by getting to know people, students that they wouldn't normally interact with. And so on this day, they assign seats to children so that they are sitting near, by, and around people, other children, that they would never interact with. And, and the underlying idea is that if they get to know this child, if they talk with them a little bit, they're less apt to bully them because they see them as a human being, not just someone I can pick on. And this is the, I think it's the 11th year that they have done this. Well, this year, I don't know exactly why, but this year, uh, a parachurch evangelical organization sent an email to all of their followers that said, "On this, this whole thing is just a veiled attempt, uh, another veiled attempt to make homosexual, the homosexual lifestyle commonplace in our schools. So we're encouraging you to, to boycott. Don't send your children to school on October 30th and make sure you call the principal and tell them why your children are not there. And this is a group that, that says their, their motto is, their goal is to fight against the ungodliness rising in America. And as I, as I read that, as I've read through their things, my, my mind is saying ungodliness equals believing like we do. Ungodliness equals believing in a way that we don't. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't know if there's some underlying idea to this mix it up at lunch day thing. I don't know if there's a, if there's a secondary reason for that. I, do, I don't know enough about it to know whether there is something else going on with that. But I can tell you this, when this was said and done, the church didn't look like the people who loved. The church clearly said, We're taking the side of judgment. 
And the people who don't claim to be the church, though they have some religious roots, were the people that others said, hmm, they care about kids. They care about this issue of bullying in schools. And as I said, I don't know what all might be going on with that, but I do know we didn't come out looking good on that. And my concern is that our default is judgment rather than love. And when I read the Gospels, I keep seeing Jesus come back to hanging out with people others are judging. He's condemned more than anything else for hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and all the people that, that that the Jewish leaders say are unacceptable to hang out with. And Jesus keeps embracing them and loving them and drawing them into the kingdom. And you and I are called to do the same as individuals and as the church. And instead of our default being judgment, Jesus is calling us to let him work in our hearts and in the way that we operate so that our default becomes embracing and loving all people. And that doesn't come naturally, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the point that Jesus is making in the parable of the Good Samaritan. You would think that by this point, people would know that asking questions of Jesus to try to trick him doesn't end well. I mean, how many times people come to Jesus and say, I'm I'm going to try to test him with this question, and they walk away with their tail between their legs. And here's a guy who comes, a teacher of the law, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. Jesus says, what do you think? What does the scripture tell you? Love the Lord your God, fill your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you're exactly right. You got it. That's it. That's the whole thing wrapped up in a nutshell. But the guy can't leave it alone. He wants to push Jesus a little bit further. He says, so, uh, okay, who's my neighbor? Now, when I think about neighbors, I think about the people that lived around us at 1701 North Thomas Avenue in Evansville, Indiana, when I was growing up. I think about the guy who lived behind us in Mitchell, Indiana, that had an auto repair shop behind his house and all the cars and trucks that kept coming into his place when I was a young child. I think about the guys who lived next to me in the dorm that loved to play their rock music at one o'clock in the morning when I was trying to sleep or the guy on the other side of me who we nicknamed Mooch because every time somebody got a care package, he was there begging stuff off of you. Sometimes getting things from you when, he, when you weren't there, he was taking things out of your care package. I think about the woman that lived just... On her house and yard were adjacent to our parking lot in Wisconsin where we lived and she was one of the most eccentric people I've ever met in my life. You go into her house and she had stacks of newspapers and magazines and, and those little shopper ad things that come in, in the mail. She had those from 50 years. Some of them had never even been taken out of the wrapper they were in. Stacked all over her house. It, it was unbelievable. I could, I, it's like you, you walk through as a maze of stacks of all this stuff. As her mind began to, to worsen, 
uh, we used to go over there and, and talk with her and try to help her sometimes. And as her mind worsened, she began to misunderstand things. And her daughter told me once that, that her mom really, she really liked us. And she, she thought we were great people, but she felt sorry for me. And her daughter said, well, why do you feel sorry for him? She said, because that church must not pay him very much. Because every Sunday, he fills up the parking lot with cars. And he has to take the morning to sell all of them off. And every Sunday, he has to come back and do the same thing over and over again. To support his in- supplement his income. I'm just going to tell you, if you got your car keys, you might as well just give them to the usher when you leave this morning. Because you're not going to need them when church is over. You think about our neighbor, someone comes to your mind, and Jesus says, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. Let me tell you a story about a neighbor. We have a hard time really grasping the, the caustic nature of this story, the shocking nature of this story that Jesus tells. I was trying to put it into the context of, of our lives. The, maybe it would be something like this. There's an American walking down a road. He has jumped, beaten, left for dead. And, and a, a Catholic priest walks down the road and crosses on the other side and goes on his way. And an evangelical pastor comes down the road and crosses on the other side and goes on his way. And, and then a Muslim man comes down the road. And he stops. Maybe an Iraqi Muslim. Afghani Muslim. And he stops and he goes over to the man and he binds up his wounds and he takes him to a hospital and he pays for the whole thing. And the Catholic priest and the evangelical pastor are the bad guys. And the Afghani Muslim is the good guy. You say, wait a second. Jesus says, you want to know who your neighbor is? It's the person that you have a hard time being around, much less loving. It's the group of people that you think, in your honest moments, are not worthy of your friendship. You wouldn't want, really, anyone to see you being friends with. Your neighbor is a person in need. The truth be told, there's not a person in this world who wouldn't qualify as your neighbor if God brought them into your path and into your life. That's who your neighbor is. Jesus asked the guy, so which one of these do you think was the neighbor? You notice the guy doesn't answer the Samaritan. He can't say that word. I mean, the Samaritan Jews are, you know, they're enemies of each other. They hate each other. And you can almost sense it, his answer coming through gritted teeth. The guy who stopped and helped him. I don't really want to say that. Jesus says, go be that kind of neighbor. You want to inherit eternal life? Go be that kind of neighbor. You want to be part of my kingdom? Go be that kind of neighbor. You don't want to know what it means to follow me? You be that kind of neighbor.
You see, we sometimes think that that being a Christian is just about our relationship with God. That's the essential part. And, and our relationship with other people, it's negotiable. We couldn't be more wrong. Because the truth of the matter is, how we treat other people is a direct reflection of our relationship with God. John says in his gospel, actually he weaves this idea through, the, I mean in his, in his letter, his first epistle, he weaves this idea all the way through it. If you say you love God and you hate your brother or sister, you are a liar. Yikes. If you hate your brother or sister, you have no relationship with God. If you hate your brother or sister, if you are unwilling to be a neighbor to your brother or sister, something is wrong in your relationship with God. If we're closed off to other people, we will be closed off to God. There is no way around that. We think there is, but there's not. And the call of the church is to embrace and love all people. The people who are ideologically different from us. The people whose lifestyle is different from us. The people who make choices that we abhor. We embrace and love them. And we don't say, hey, just come on in and it doesn't matter what you do. No, that's not the point. We embrace them. We love them because we want them to know Jesus. Of course, we've got to be careful because sometimes our, our motivation is we want to introduce people to Jesus. And when I read the Gospels, I hear Jesus saying and I see Jesus acting, you just love people. Because if our goal is to bring people to Jesus as noble as that goal is, we will manipulate people and we will manipulate stuff and we will do things that the end will justify the means and that will be dangerous for us. We are called to love people. And if we genuinely love people, we'll have opportunities to talk about Jesus. In fact, there's a good chance people will come to us and say, tell me about Jesus. Because they feel so loved and embraced and wanted and welcomed by the church. See, our problem is we think the goal is to win. And Jesus keeps telling us and showing us the goal is to love. We think the goal is to is to, to believe the right things and to make sure everybody else believes the right things and, and to make sure they, we, they know that what we believe is right and may, what they believe is wrong. We think it's all about being right. And Jesus keeps telling us over and over and over again, it's about being loving. Because it's only through love that change takes place. It's only through love that people hear the truth. It's only through love that people want what Jesus has come to give. I'm convinced that people who tell us that they have intellectual objections 
to, to the gospel, to God, to Christ, I'm convinced that most of the time, if you peel away the layers, you will find something in their life where they've been hurt by a Christian or the church. And that just opened the door to reject the truth and to reject the church and to reject Christ. And the only way to get through that is to give them a different image of the church and of God and of Christ. Friday at the funeral of Lucille Gallup, her son David was talking about when they're telling stories about uh, Mrs. Gallup. And there was a point where he told about years ago, late 60s, early 70s, I'm guessing, they lived in Pennsylvania at that time, and, and some students from Boston University came to their house. They were protesting the Vietnam War, and they were trying to garner support for that. And I got the impression that, that the Gallups were not necessarily in favor of protesting the war. But as these students came to the door on this cold, wintry morning, Mrs. Gallup opened the door, and, and she, she found out what they were about, and she welcomed them in. And she made some hot chocolate and got out some cookies and she served this to them. And they sat down and they just kind of talked about things. And when they were done, she said, I want you guys to come back for dinner tonight because my husband would love to visit with you, love to get to know you, love to hear what you have to say. And so that night they came back for dinner and they sat around the table just talking about their different ideas. And I thought to myself as I heard him tell that story, That's what the church should be. We don't have to agree, but we are called to love, to kindness and compassion and generosity and mercy, not just to a certain group of people, but to all people. It's counterintuitive to how we think. It's counterintuitive to to the world around us, but shouldn't the people of God be known as people who don't think like the rest of the world, who don't act like the rest of the world. That's the church. That's the gospel. I put this tree up here. If you were part of the prayer vigil, you you saw this in the prayer room. And as everyone completed their time of prayer, they wrote their name on one of the leaves and stuck it into the tree until it formed this this, this beautiful image of all of us. And, and this tree is going to be up for the next few weeks. And I just wanted it here because it reminds us of the diversity among us and how we all are a part of the kingdom because at some point in time, someone embraced us, loved us, and welcomed us into the kingdom. It's our calling. And I was thinking about the tree. I was thinking, you know, we can, as a church, what kind of tree might we be known as? What kind of reputation does the Houghton Church have? Are we like a man-eating tree that people keep running away from, trying to keep their distance from? Are we like a peach tree with luscious fruit that people can't stay away from? Because the fruit just creates such a welcoming, inviting atmosphere and people come and are blessed. And the answer to that question has eternal consequences. 
Not just for other people, but for you and me too. Because the kind of church we are is a reflection of who God is in our lives. I'd like for you to take just a moment, we're going to take a moment of silence, and I want you to think about a person or a group of people that you find hard to embrace, hard to love. Ask God to put them into your mind and then ask God to begin to work in your heart to see them differently, to think about them differently, to embrace them differently. Father, speak truth into our lives. Shake us up. Change our hearts, individually and collectively, that we might reflect the Spirit of Jesus. Amen. I want you to do something for me this week. I want you to think back, keep in mind the person, group of people that you've just thought about. I want you to do something. You can pray about this, but do something to reach out to that person or to this group of people. You might send them a note. You might need to do something if they're not actually someone you know. But some gesture, some action that will give you encouragement about a little bit being a little bit more welcoming and loving to our neighbor. Let's stand and sing.
receive the benediction. In the words of the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And may he strengthen you that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God our Father when Jesus Christ comes with all of his holy ones.